Welcome to Real Life Fiction. I'm Matt James with Conundrum Publishing, international best-selling author of The Blood King. And today I'll be talking to USA Today best-selling author Ernest Dempsey. Ernie, thanks for coming on this show. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. Thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> yeah. No, I, it's, you know, we've, uh, we've, we've hung out before, you know, we were, had a great time in, in, in Disney with the families before, but be, really being able to, uh, you know, sit down and talk versus text or message. It's just a completely different, uh, experience and it's just a lot more fun. So I'm, I'm really happy to have you on. For sure. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. So uh, for, for those that might, you know, uh, maybe see your name, but they're not overly familiar with your work or people that might just be stumbling on to you for the first time, um, just kind of give us a brief overview on, you know, who Ernest Dempsey is. Well, nobody's ever really said it that way. Um, I'm a little distracted because my cat's down here and I don't want to pick my tripod. Uh, so I'm 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 Ernest Dempsey, and I'm a cat lover. Apparently, apparently, I uh, I write I write uh, archaeological thrillers and uh, action thrillers, and now urban fantasy and paranormal thrillers mm -hmm. with an archaeology spin. And uh, I've been doing it since 2008. I published my first book in 2010, and so really wish I had muted all of these alerts that I'm getting on my phone right now, but it's too late. So. <laughs> it's like yeah. vibrating and popping up on the screen. Is yeah, that, I, is that I put my cell phone on silent, so so it wasn't doing that. But <laughs> yeah, I could do that. I wonder if it'll kill the record. I don't think it'll kill it. I don't think it'll kill it. Yeah, no, you're fine. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, so you uh, you also were a little bit of a musician back in the day, and you still do play a little here and there. But uh, that's yeah, kind of... very little. I, I just yeah. in my just in my office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you, but you and I actually have some uh, have some um, uh, uh, similar traits in that. Is I, I was in a band for six or seven years playing drums, and we, I say tour, but we traveled up and down South Florida playing a bunch of different you know gigs and you know yeah. some dive bars, some some bigger places. Yeah, um, I got to open for uh, Black Flag on a reunion tour. No uh, way. Yeah, so I got to hang out with Henry Rollins. No, and that oh come on, yeah. wait a minute. Yeah, Henry oh. Rollins, Keith, uh, Keith Morris. So basically what it was is they were having a reunion tour and Henry and Keith, who were the, the, the two lead singers in different eras of the band, um, got together and decided to do a reunion tour and both of them sang and they mm. like rotated songs. And uh, they toured with a uh, one band, uh, which was against all, of all authority. And uh, they had three local bands at every stop uh, open for them. So they only had one consistent touring band, which I thought was a really cool way of doing it. Uh -huh. And, um, we got hooked up through against all authority. Um, they knew somebody in the scene that was friends with us. And, um, you know, they said, Hey, these guys are a punk rock and roll band. Uh, they'll fit right into the crowd. And, um, you know, we were the first band lead off band. Um, and it was actually pretty fun because it was the biggest crowd I had ever, ever played for. It was, well, yeah, it was, it was awesome. And then Henry watched every single song of every yep. single opening band. I've heard he, he does that. He's a cool dude. He's a cool dude. And, uh, watching him warm up, uh, watching him just 
be himself, uh, which is exactly what you see when he's on stage. He's just a wild man and he's like, and then the now with the media and the stuff that he does, he's just, he's a very genuine human being and he's just a really, really cool guy. Oh yeah. And he's brilliant. Oh, he's, he's fantastic. He's fantastic. He's a, he's a genius poet. mm -hmm. He's a genius, uh, student of history and, and culture and all that stuff. He's a, he's a rent. He's, it's strange that somebody who does what he does in the way that he does it is such a Renaissance man because on the outside people just, you know, they'll see the, the singer and the, mm-hmm. the screamer and the like, you know, and the high, the high energy guy, but then yeah, when, he's, yeah. when he's talking and he's doing his spoken word tours, he's so calm and collected and like mm-hmm. reserved and professional, I guess you'll call it. And uh, yeah, yeah, he was, he was a cool guy. You know, that was <laughs> That's awesome. I'm jealous. <laughs> Yeah, but you were a singer, so I mean, I was the background guy. I was just the, I was the, just trying to keep time, <laughs> trying to keep rhythm. <laughs> yeah, I think that my, I mean, we played for the biggest show we ever did was in two thousand one, and we opened for Rascal Flats, which was cool because yeah. they had just won their first CMA award, and we weren't a country band, but they were they're more like rock and roll than yeah. I mean, their live show is very rock and roll. They did a Boston cover nice. for crying out loud and nailed it because their singers got such high range. But um, oh yeah, but that was cool. I mean, it was cool to, to meet them and hang out with them. It was really funny because I think their drummer was a hired gun. Like, I think their core is like three guys. Yeah, it's just the three guys usually. I mean, they have a, they have a lot of guys that have been playing with them for a long time. Yeah, it, it's yeah, the, the band is the three of them. Yeah, well, so it was interesting. The the guy that was playing drums with them at the time, we're backstage after the show or whatever, and uh, they're you know hanging out between the buses and all that. And uh, we didn't have a bus. That was like our home venue. Basically, it was uh, it was here in Chattanooga. But yeah, their drummer and his sister came up to me and and like one of her friends and. They said, uh, "Could we get your autograph?" And I was like, "What?" And, the, and their and their road manager and his wife they wanted autographs too. And I was like, "But you're touring with Rascal Flats. Like, why do you yeah want my autograph?" It was really funny. There was I signed more autographs that night than I've ever signed in my life. It was really cool, and uh, it was neat to see such a long line of people like waiting. It was, it, that would be an interesting experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, I, I think it was four or 5,000 people. They said more people saw us that night than Travis Tritt the night before. Um, wow. Because of who we were opening for. I mean, sure. Yeah. Um, but it was really, it was a neat experience. A little nerve wracking uh, back then. Like now I don't really care if I'm in front of a huge crowd, but back then it was, it was kind of terrifying. <laughs> you didn't want to screw up. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, well, yeah, that's the thing is I was more, I wasn't terrified of the crowd. I was just, I was terrified of screwing up. But <laughs> you screw up in front of more people. It's worse. Like if yeah. you screw up in front yeah. of one person, you, you, you joke with them afterwards. And you, but then if it's like, you know, 500 people or a thousand people or more, they get, it just amplifies that. Yeah. Well, especially if you're semi-serious with what you're doing and you're trying to grow it. Um, yeah, you know, just like we do now where you're trying to grow a brand, you're trying to grow a business and, you know, especially when you're on stage and you screw up, I mean, that just sets you back, you know, that could set you back forever. 
Um, oh yeah. Yeah, we opened for uh, Driving and Crying one time, and uh, the most it was. I, I love that band, but they were the most keep to themselves guys. I I mean, I said something to them backstage, and they were just basically like ignored me, and uh, and their crowd. It was so funny because wherever we went and played like one of their covers, uh, like Straight to Hell or one of those things the the crowds would go crazy for driving and crying and you know i guess georgia they're a georgia band and so around this region they're just hugely popular but the night we opened for them it was like everybody had taken barium and lithium at the same time and were just like it was the deadest most vapid looking audience i've ever seen like i was like you guys ready for driving and crying and it was like uh. <laughs> what is going on here? Like, I loved it. I'm excited to like be in this, be on the same stage with these guys. And yeah, this band is awesome. I love their songs, and everybody was just kind of like, meh. It must be. It must be because a lot of the time is like. I mean, I've been to. I can't tell you how many like shows I've been to. You know, with uh, you know, like local bands and stuff, and then big concerts sure. too. It's all about the presence on stage for these guys. It's like if they look bored, the crowd is going to be bored. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's honestly what it is. That's why you see guys like, uh, you know, I don't I think I've seen I've seen Dirk Bentley three or four times and his show is amazing because he's the energy. He's got this great, you know, you can tell he loves doing it even after all the years he's done it. Zach Brown bands the same way. You see him this, you know, these, this massive show. But it's so fun. And because the band is having a great time on stage, you know, and some bands, it's like they they're just kind of like it's a job for them, and it 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 relates to the crowd where you're like, wow, these guys are bored. Now I'm bored because now you're like, okay, now what am I doing? I'm just watching these guys. I'm not actually like a part of it or being entertained. I guess. Yeah, half of it is acting. Yeah, you know, like that's is. people people think that I'm this sanguine, outgoing uh, person that you know, loves attention and loves to be the focus of attention and all that. And the truth could, it could, the truth is far from that. I, I actually, whenever I would finish a show, I would just want to go backstage and hide for like an hour, decompress or go up to the manager's office and hang out for an hour and just chat baseball or whatever. Sure. I, what I would do was sit on the front of the stage and shake hands and hug people and thank people for coming out. But it's all, not that that's an act. I'm genuine, genuinely appreciative that mm -hmm. they came. But but the act is that I'm being super sociable and really I just want to go hide. And that's but you have to put the act on this, you know, look like the rock star and yeah. be the rock star. People don't, you know, people think that melancholy folks are interesting and mysterious and all that. But it's not fun to watch melancholy. No, it's no. fun. And that's to why watch. you see a guy like perfect example is Alice Cooper. Yeah, you want yeah. one of the more intelligent human beings, one of the most well-spoken human beings, brilliant guy, but so laid back and easygoing. And then he's on stage, and he's Alice Cooper, and it's just like, yeah, it really is. It's a complete act, and it's but it but it you know the, the I guess the 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 true professionals are the ones that just you know they know how to turn it on and off. Yeah. You know, and I reached out to Alice Cooper year, year and a half ago uh, because he's a huge golfer. Mm -hmm. And so I saw he was coming into Chattanooga between 
bigger stops like Nashville, Atlanta type stops or Knoxville, Atlanta type stops. And uh, a lot of musicians do that. They'll scoop up some extra money by popping into Chattanooga and on the way from one place to another. They'll do like a Wednesday show here. So I reached out to his management and asked if he wanted to play golf here at the course where I live. <laughs> Never got a response, but I was like, I'm not going to get to play with Alice Cooper if I don't ask. So exactly. I, I want to ask, at least ask. And they say, no, screw off or whatever, weirdo. Fine. It's his loss because <laughs> tremendous. Our greens are some of the best. So it's his, it's uh, Alice Cooper's loss. It's, it's not Ernie's loss. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is, and this is, there's a deeper layer to why it's his loss. I know a lot about Alice, about Alice Cooper. I, you know, I've, I say a lot, but I know things about Alice Cooper. I, I follow him a little bit. You know, I like his music. I like, I like his spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. I like a lot of things about him. He's missing out because he doesn't know anything about me or even who <laughs> I am. And I think he would really enjoy, you know, getting to know those things. Oh, I'm so sure it's it is uh, from fun. personal experience. I, I I can say that he missed out. On, he missed out on a lot hurt hanging out with Mr. Ernest Dempsey. I mean, he he, he missed out big time. So you're not missing out now. No, <laughs> Some, sometimes there's regrets, but uh, <laughs> no, it is kind of funny is uh, my girls always talk about the Disney trip that we shared. And yeah. Uh, they, uh, cause I have, I have an aura frame, you know, the one, you know, the, the digital frame that flips through. Yeah. And, uh, I actually have quite a few pictures from that weekend on it and it'll pop through and there'll be pictures oh, cool. of, of our girls together. And, uh, my little one, Daisy always asks me about her, you know, about, about your daughter and, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, when are we going to do that again? That was fun and blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm like, oh, I mean, and then I have I have pictures of you and me on here. Um, it, it's just. It was fun times. It was a memorable weekend for me. I thought I thought it was a great weekend. Um, yeah, it was awesome. It was a it was a great weekend walking around Food and Wine Festival with you guys. And um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, so books, obviously, this is kind of yeah. <laughs> this this has been band talk for oh our twenty minutes fifteen. Like minutes. I said pre-show, uh, there is no like real format, real rules to these shows. I have talking points, but that doesn't mean we're going to get to them or in what order. Right. Um. This may be a tough question for you because, you know, you're, you're so deep into the series, uh, 22 books now, but can you give us just a little bit of who Sean Wyatt is? Well, so the, 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 the nuts out, and bolts, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The nuts and bolts is Sean Wyatt's a former, uh, government agent with a, re a redacted agency that re reports and answers only to the president of the United States. And now he works as an artifact recovery specialist and security specialist with International Archaeological Agency based in Atlanta, which is a fictional agency I came up with. All those agencies are fictional. And uh, so he and his best friend who founded the, the agency are always traveling the world, trying to uncover more, uh, you know, uncover lost artifacts or Un unravel mysteries and usually what happens is uh something happens to someone because the villain is usually the one that's looking for something first or mm -hmm. or maybe they find something and it just so happens that the villain is also looking for the same thing but the nuts and bolts of sean wyatt as a character as, as a person or that he's um 
he's a guy he's a guy with a with a past you know with a with a with a violent past obviously and um sometimes that that violent past and the training he's been through and his experiences come in handy but deep deep down he's got uh got deeper issues that he struggles with and over time some of those issues have come to light and other issues are still you know yet to come to light uh, but he's he's a hero in in that uh in the traditional sense in that he's the good guy and he the he tries to stand up for what's right, but there's a, there's a, there's pieces of anti-hero to him as well, because, you know, he eventually in one of the books kind of comes face to face with the fact that he, he almost likes the violence. Like that's almost always his default uh, solution. Sure. And so, um, and that's a struggle and it's a struggle that we see, playing out right now in society here, especially in the United States, uh, where you have evil force, you know, evil people, people with evil intentions, uh, committing violent acts against innocent people on the streets and, uh, you know, in, in big cities, especially, but also here, you know, in the, in the suburbs and, you know, we've, we've seen an increase in crime and things of that nature. And, um, and so somebody like Sean, you know, their default is to shut it down the, the best way he knows how. Right. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, is is that always the best solution or will that solution create more pushback from the other side? So he's got this he's got a lot of he's he doesn't have the demons in the traditional sense that you you read about with heroes like this, where they see the faces of the people they've killed and they. Yeah, these regrets and things of that nature. I based him more on uh, a real person that I know. A lot of his characteristics are mine, but one of the characteristics that I built into him was uh, a Marine that I know who became a police officer and he had to shoot somebody in the line of duty, killed this person. They question him about it. They they always put you through a psychological evaluation after something like that. Yeah. And um, the psychologist was disturbed at the lack of how it how doing this actually affected. Like it didn't impact him at all. He was completely normal. And no, not just regret having no regrets, but also just almost apathetic to it right like it was yeah. just something i did it was it was like he just picked up a bottle of water and took a drink and that was that was the effect it had on his life and so there's something there's something to a person like that right there's a you you know you could say it's you know that's they've, they've absorbed the training more than other people or they've accepted their role as the sword more than any other people and that's just who they are or is there something else to it? Is there a darkness that lurks within? And I think that there's a darkness within all of us. And sometimes, yeah. and, and as writers, we can let that darkness out. And sometimes it scares people like, like with my Crimson Wind, like with Gideon Wolf, Crimson Winter coming out yep. on um, April, April 28th. <laughs> plug, plug, plug. As and of then, recording, this, uh, this, your book will be out tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> as of recording. So, uh, nice. 
Yeah. But, you know, people uh, people are like, this is a lot more violent than anything you've done. And I don't really, some people are put off by the violence, but we all have a dark side. How deep does the dark side go? And for me, I I do have that dark side, but I try to use the dark side for for good, right? So mm. like when you look, this is what I've been commenting to people a lot lately. When I look at like the, the crime thing, the 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 massive crime that happened in Chicago last weekend or like what's yeah. going on in New every, York every or, out, or out West. Yeah. You know, yeah. all this stuff. I'm like, this is how you get Batman, right? Like yeah. this is how Gotham happens and how Batman comes about like vigilantes. And for me, if it's a dark side to kind of wish that we had a vigilante like Gideon Wolf or a Batman type, then Okay, I accept that as my dark side, but I feel like that that dark side is aligning with with good and not evil because they're trying to protect the innocent. Yeah. So yeah, no, one hundred percent, and I I get it. Uh, I've done, I've had some characters with uh, you know the like the the I guess we'll call it the cliche de demons from serving in the military and that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, but it, it that's all about just you know, like the character building of it all. And honestly, if you don't do it, um, I guess it's kind of if you don't do it, it just really kind of hurts the realism of the character that we are trying to create because you know. It's not all, you know, it's not all, you know, uh, I guess you would say like bells and whistles and it's not all happy when you're doing what you're doing, especially if you have a guy that's like a, you know, a counterterrorism operator or, you know, uh, like a Mossad operative, like in, in one, my newer book that's coming out where he's a keyed on and his job is to kill people. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it's what side of the killing are you on? Are you doing it for duty or does a little bit of you actually enjoy taking out these people because they are horrific, you know? So it's mm -hmm. like, so yeah, you're doing it for the good, but it's also how it creeps in and becomes something a little more than just like, it, 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 are you enjoying it versus I'm doing it and then walking away. And like you said, you know, uh, having a character that has a little bit of that different in his mentality where like the violence is something that they not necessarily get off on, but it's, 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 you know, something that uh, maybe they go a little more over the top with the bar fight, you know, like we've seen that in, in movies and in books where, you know, a guy will be very quick to uh, harm somebody or hurt somebody, but he's not doing it in a uh, evil way. It's just, um, he's doing it because that's just what he, you know, it's like his, his tendencies. Yeah. You know, it's like, did, did he have to break the guy's arm or could have he just subdued him? Right. Or did it's, Gideon Wolf, you know, did he need to kick that guy's head and, you know, rip it clean off of the person's torso and, you know, send it sailing down the road and then make the <laughs> comment wide right. After yeah. <laughs> the cornfield. No, he didn't have to do that. But yeah, you know, there's something about um, I think that something that one of the foundations of that character the gideon wolf character mm -hmm. more so than the sean wyatt character sure and, and dak harper too um the thing the thing about gideon wolf is is different than those two guys in that his methods are are intentional in that 
sort of like in the movie Swordfish, right? Did you ever see Swordfish? Yeah. They had mm -hmm. the black cell with Travolta and Halle Berry. And um, thank you for that swimming pool scene. But the, um, <laughs> yeah, so they, you know, the black cell in that film exists because it, it it's, its purpose is to make terrorism so unthinkable that it will stop, right? So like you, like Travolta said, you bomb a church, we we bomb three mosques, right? Or whatever. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not right, right? Like maybe that's, you shouldn't be attacking somebody's holy, you know, yeah. places of worship. But the point of it is to make, make evil unthinkable, right? Yeah. So the way that I've designed this character with Gideon Wolf and, and uh, we were talking about Sean earlier, and I've just diverted onto this subject. Oh, but, yeah. but, but with Gideon, the the whole the whole purpose, uh, the the whole foundation of his character is to make evil and, and acts against the innocent so unthinkable that people will stop. Right? Mm -hmm. That they'll have they'll have no choice because they will be so terrified. And the monster that he becomes through through the power of this medallion that he discovered and this creature that he shifts into when he's when he's fighting bad guys isn't just uh, a, a cool special effect and it's not just a cool suit that he puts on it's also the metaphor built into it it's the, the metaphor is that um it takes a monster to suppress monstrous acts Right to prevent monstrous yeah, things from who doing, understands it better from than a monster. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. and when and so you know when you when you hear when when there's you know people are sitting around a fire or sitting around a, a bar and they're they're talking about did you hear what happened to this cartel boss? No, what happened? It was a monster that killed him, right? And it was horrible how he was really what do you yeah this guy this thing hunts hunts down cartel guys and it hunts down uh criminals that do this and this and so it it's it's got that whole ghost story thing built into it and its design is intentional in that you want to make committing acts of e acts of evil and you know violent crimes so unthinkable that you don't think about doing them anymore Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're 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 subduing them with fear at this point. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 a killer way to look at it. Honestly, <laughs> I didn't. You know, no pun intended. But um, so you mentioned him in in passing, and I know this is a, a a series that you are particularly like very fond of. I mean, we're all fond of our own work, I guess. But uh, uh, when I'm talking, not me. Uh, I don't like anything that I write. <laughs> I think the ideas are cool, but yeah is uh is relic runner is dak harper um and uh i know you were super excited when you when you first uh uh started putting this story stories together and then released them and released them to um uh you know they were well received and uh, you know i'm happy mm -hmm. for you for that but uh kind of give us a rundown on him because i i do the same thing and this is probably more of a peel back the curtain type of thing where we are content creators and we have specific content that our series doesn't deviate from you know, like I have my Jack Riley series, which is more straight laced action adventure, action thriller. I have my Zara Kane series, which is kind of 
jack on steroids because I am willing to go a little bit more over the top with content and or like the themes of this stuff where jack I try to keep it a little bit more I guess we'll call it realistic um and I have a, a couple other things that I'm working on that I am going to go just full on over the top because I don't do it in any other series and I want to do it I want to like your Gideon series you don't write that kind of character typically and I know it's kind of like a why well, I want to it's just where do I do it and, you know, and I, I know, like, at least for me, when I start a new series, it's kind of like, well, I'm not doing this type of book in this series. So why don't I just start a new series? And that's what, what the theme of that is going to be. And um, but like with your Dak Harper stuff, I, um, I I'm a fan of it anyways. And uh, just kind of give us a little rundown on who Dak is, too, and just kind of the deviation of him versus like a Sean and that kind of stuff. Dak Harper is uh, is a, is a former Delta Force operator who was betrayed by his team. And uh, when, when they discovered a treasure hoard in the Middle East, and uh, it turns out that he wasn't just betrayed by his team, his commanding officer was part of the whole thing too. Um, if he had gone along with it and they had looted that treasure trove and, and sold it on the black market, the... Uh, he probably would have been left alone and he wouldn't have had any of any, you know, much of this stuff happening to him. And, um, but that doesn't make for a very good story. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Dak Harper is driven by a strict moral code. He, um, he's, he's, uh, struggles because he's had to separate himself from the woman he loves who lives in Istanbul and is a cyber tech, kind of person, um, cybersecurity tech kind of person. Um, he's had to distance himself from her because he's got, he's a man with a target on his back. Mm -hmm. And so to make money, um, he, he stumbled upon, or this, this kid stumbled upon him. He stumbled upon this kid who's a eccentric video game millionaire who, uh, initially in the books was only like 12 years old, but he has, has sort of this desire to locate uh, missing or stolen artifacts um, on the dark web. And so he goes into, he finds these things um, in, in black, in, uh, in the antiquities black market, which is a very real thing, by sure. the way. Like that's a, I was shocked to learn how big it really is. Mm -hmm. And so. So it was, yeah, so it was art. Yes, yes, art and antiquities, black market, and he he deals in both, and so uh, in fact the the new the new book Thief's Honor is is the one I'm working on right now. He, it's dealing with a, a stolen painting, stolen oh. Rembrandt, so which is very real. Like this is is dealing with a real painting. All of the things that he's looking for usually I, I don't think there was a fictional one yet. I think they're all real things. So um, yeah, so he's he's. Uh, I've, I've kind of laid the foundation for like where he comes from and what he's mm -hmm. about. But one of the biggest things with Dak though, is he has a strong sense of justice and, and vengeance goes hand in hand with that justice. Right. Yeah. So again, a lot of the things he does is violent, you know, hunts down the guys that betrayed him. Uh, and, and some people, you know, some people that don't like that sort of mindset might say, well, why would somebody do that? It sounds like he's just a sociopath. And 
Well, if you don't think that you could ever live in peace and you don't believe that the person you care most about could ever live a peaceful and safe and happy life because there's a threat still out there, then you would do what you had to do to make sure that threat was no longer around. Yeah, especially when you are who you are and you're you're who you used to work for. There is no you can only hide for so long. That is correct. And so yeah. uh, that's that's who he is and 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 who he starts out as. But then as he takes on this job hunting down these artifacts, he finds himself in sort of a savior role, an un, an unanticipated uh, savior role for other people. Because there are always, like in the first book, The Courier, there's an illegal gold mining operation that goes on in Peru. It's a huge deal down there. Mm-hmm. And it effectively utilizes slave labor and sort of like you would almost say indentured servitude type labor in many situations. Um, a lot of the people they use are living in total squalor. And... Um, and it operates very much like you know, like a cartel would. And so um, I put Dak into that scenario where he's trying to find this artifact held by this person who is also oppressing these people. So these people need his help. He also needs to find this artifact. And that's sort of the model that I worked with um, for the first five books. And book six takes a turn to... Uh, a slightly different uh, situation, different scenario. And um, I think people are really going to enjoy it. But, um, and then there's, there's the constant threat of his former commanding officer through the first five books that has, that somehow has has evaded him over the years. And he's been unable to find him. And this guy continues to send assassins after Dak. And, uh, and so there's all that stuff going on. But yeah, one of the things that I, one of the book five, Moscow Sky, the last one that I did was really interesting because it's based on real events, the events that are still happening in Ukraine right now. And whether you think that we, you know, we, our involvement in Ukraine is uh, good or bad or whatever, it's, it's completely irrelevant regarding this story. What happened in Ukraine when the Russians invaded was several of their, several of their groups went straight for museums and started looting museums. And one such museum uh, was, was the national uh, historical museum uh, there that has a crazy amount of Scythian gold artifacts from the Scythian empire. And the reports that I read and the articles that I read said that a team of Russian military broke into the museum, they found the curator, uh, they, t- at, they, they told her, you have to tell us where you've hidden you know, the gold because we know there's gold here and now we don't see it, so where is it? She wouldn't tell them. So then they tortured her. She still wouldn't tell them because the Ukrainians feel very tied to all, all these things. These are part of their history and culture. And if you remove those things, then you remove that history and culture, right? Then it just yep. become oral tradition and oral tradition can always be challenged or questioned. Right. Yep. And so, um, they're, they're, these are really important pieces, uh, of, of their history. And 
uh, she wouldn't give it up. And then eventually they found these things hidden in boxes down in the basement. And so that's where the reality yeah. kind of leaves off. And so Moscow Sky picks up from there and what would Dak Harper do, right? Sure. So uh, he gets sent over there. He puts together a team to help him with, you know, tracking this rogue Russian unit down. And um, I think that that story is, is so cool because it's, it's still unfolding, right? Yeah. Like, we don't know where some of these artifacts have been taken or many of them. We don't know, you know, if they're out of the country now, if they're in Moscow now, if like some of these guys like took off on their own and just like went AWOL against their own military. So it's, um, it's a fascinating subject. It's also really sad. But it's kind this, of like uh, kind of like Kelly's heroes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, with the Clint Eastwood and Telly Savalas and Don Rickles, where they go behind enemy lines to loot this this bank because they're yeah. just they're 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 sick of the war and they're kind of rebelling against their commanders. Yeah, and then they they disappear into the sunset as you know wealthy, you know basically wealthy bank robbers. Yeah. And, uh, and so at the end of the day, they're not even like, they're not even good guys. You know, they do because they do save like a village and they do save a people and stuff. But you're just like, wow, they're going AWOL from the United States military while also robbing a, a, a bank. <laughs> and you're just like, but it's what fun. A great, <laughs> what a that's great, a great reference, though. That's a good deep cut. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie. That was one of my favorite movies growing up. Uh, my, my dad was a big fan of, of, of a lot of those actors, you know, old school oh, yeah. like Donald Sutherland and, you know. Oh, for know, sure. Playing eight ball. And, you know, you, you had some really, really good actors in that movie. But uh, it's kind of kind of a great uh, story concept, too, considering when it was made, too. Uh, it feels like more of a modern day story concept versus something that was 40, 50 years ago. But uh, yeah. So as a as a writer, um, you know, we give our thanks to blank for, uh, you know, giving us the interest in this kind of stuff and like our influences and kind of like you know, why I have always been a deep, or I've had a deep fascination with ancient history and that kind of stuff. And I have since I was as young as I can remember. Um, And then you also realize, at least here in the States, you know, our country's very young, you know, considering, and Mm -hmm. we don't have ancient history, you know, we have history, but we don't have when I read about something that was found and it's, you know, 3,500 years old and blah, 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 and it's from this empire and whatever, I'm just like, I, I can't grasp it half the time because I just, it's not a part of my history. And it's just something that I'm just uber fascinated about. And then, of course, now being a writer, I'm like, oh, I got to write about this. This is so cool. But uh, like, where where did it come from for you? Because I mean, like for me, it was the obvious. It was the Indiana Joneses of the world. And later it was Uncharted and Tomb Raider and, you know, National Treasure, I know is a big one for a lot of us. But uh you know, where, where did it start with you where you were just like, because I know you're very ingrained in the action adventure stuff and the archaeological thrillers and that that's just something that's always been, you know, a, a thing for you. So it's like, where did that come from? Well, before I answer that, I will say that we don't have here in the States, we don't have ancient history in the traditional sense in, yeah. that, in that we don't have giant temples built in the bronze age and we don't have cathedrals that are 1500 years old or 1100 years old and uh and old cities that have been around for a long time but we have another history that in some ways is far more mysterious and more interesting um 
you know, last week I was down or on Sunday, I was down at the Etowah Indian mounds mm-hmm. and like, uh, Graham Hancock briefly, I mean, for a split second, just showed the Etowah Indian mounds, um, at the very end of ancient apocalypse in the last episode, it was one of like a bunch of places that flashed on the screen, but the, the mounds that are there are over a thousand years old most of the, or uh, some of them um there was a city there that had a wooden a wooden wall around it that uh 5000 people lived in DeSoto wrote about it during his expedition through that area um and three of the those three main mounds there each had a, a big mansions and one had a palace at the top of it and it underneath them, they're effectively ziggurat type pyramids, right? So they're, they're step pyramids. But what a lot of people don't know is that there are older mounds around that area and over in the hills and the mountains, um, not far from there, that uh, experts are now saying date an additional thousand years or more back. Right. So now we're now we're talking about time of Christ. Now we're hedging towards uh, late Middle Bronze Age uh, with some of the stuff that I've I've sure. read and seen and people I've talked to. They've said as far as twenty three hundred years back and maybe more. So we do have a history, but it's 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 covered up and it's covered up. And, you know, the the European based um, history books that we studied in high school. And this is one reason I love guys like Graham Hancock so much is, uh, he's, you know, it's, we're not trying to ignore what the things we do know that did happen. Columbus did come here, but most of us know now Columbus was not the one that found this, this area over here. Right. Um, I, I had somebody say to me, you know, just just yesterday, I, I had a YouTube video. Uh, oh, one of my audiobooks, Norse Directive. Um, I've had this comment from multiple people that um, there were not horses in North America prior to the Spanish. I have multiple sources that prove the contrary of that. And yet mainstream historians and people who teach this stuff in accredited universities and high schools still teach that we didn't have horses before the Spaniards arrived. That's simply not the case. We have, in fact, we have traces of, of, of equine animals here going back uh, tens of thousands of years. So um, you, you, have to, you have to dig deeper. There are new articles that I've found. I mean, I shared the article with this person who was trying to correct me. Um, but, uh, you know, you have, there, there are a lot of, there, there was one person that, um, you know, secret of the stones talked about, um, seafaring boats that the Egyptians had built. Right. Yeah. And this person was like, they didn't have ocean capable vessels. They were, um, only river goers. And I'm like, really, well, please have a look at this link to an archeological discovery in a barren desert where a massive Harbor used to be around 4,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago. Right. And, um, this Harbor had enormous ships that were far larger than anything that the Nile river ever played host to. 
But thanks to the climate change back 4,000 years ago, which has been mm -hmm. ongoing since the Ice Age, right? It's been getting hotter. Um, the, these lakes have dried up. These harbors have dried up. Connections to oceans have dried up. They found all these boats, and they weren't just ceremonial ships, right? And it's entirely possible that the Egyptians were crossing the Atlantic Ocean and coming over here. There's oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times I've written about when the Sahara Desert was a part of the Mediterranean. And, you know, yeah. it, was, it was water. I mean, there was jungle 5,000 years ago. Yeah, there was but there's that there. famous, what is it, the the whales of the Sahara? What What is that? There's like a... I think there's like a show about it where, you know, they're finding all these whale skeletons, you know, yeah. beneath the sands. And it's like they didn't crawl up onto shore. You know, these these are whales. These are modern whales. These aren't like the dinosaur predecessors. Mm -hmm. You know, th these are whales. It's, and, you know, and, and, that and the riverbeds that they constantly find, you know, when, when they're doing yeah. their, uh, the radar scans and stuff, they're finding riverbeds, you know, under the sand. And you're just like, no, it, it was a very plentiful, you know. I guess I guess I just don't understand, you know, like. And Graham Hancock deals with this a lot. And I, mm -hmm. I would love to ask him what he, why he thinks this is, because it seems to me like this sort of, these sort of histories are being suppressed by someone, right? Pushed down by, by angry mobs that, that like to be right and never want to be wrong. But it's got to be deeper than that, right? Like why, why wouldn't you want to know? Why wouldn't you want everyone to know? Oh, well, Back then, there was a jungle in the Sahara, and it was connected to the ocean. It was part of the Mediterranean. And Egyptians had seafaring boats, and we've had horses here for twelve thousand years. Like, and the Norse, what? the Norse were here far long, far long before the yeah, Spaniards. Right? What's wrong with what yeah. is wrong with people knowing that? There's I love how they say the Norse, bad. the Norse went to Canada but never came south. What are you kidding me? They just decided to stop. It's, it's like no, it's, it's <laughs> wild. Like, it's yeah. wild to me. And then, and then you'll have, because people just don't like to be told they're wrong. Yeah. I just, I, I guess, or academia I, doesn't like to be told it, it's wrong. It can't be that simple though. Right. Uh, yeah, like, no, I, I, I mean, or it really... it's just not as conspiratorial as we want it to be. Well, but then that's the other thing though. Right. So that's the other <laughs> side of it because you and I think of conspiracy. Yeah. Right? yeah and and by the way, we're not crazy with our red strings. Like we follow no. money. We follow actions. Every conspiracy that you and I come up with are extremely logical. Like oh, sure. it makes total sense. But in this case, I can't even think of a conspiracy as to why they would want to hide this stuff. Yeah. And I can think of a lot of things, but like I can't figure out like what history cabal would be trying to suppress this and why would they be doing it? It doesn't make any sense to me. So we're left with the only explanation, which is just ego, right? Yeah. Well, so, that's, the one, that's the one thing I know you use it too, is, is everybody uses it, is that's the one good, I guess it's the one good thing about the nature of man being yeah. selfish and violent. And yeah. it, it's the tendencies of some people and it, it's what makes a great villain. Um, but in this case, it might just be selfish and just i don't know because like you said it it, it there, there's no reason for us to be like well no blah 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 came to the came to what is north america uh ten thousand years ago well no that's not right well yeah the, the, but why can't it be like what's the argument that it can't happen yeah and, it ha then didn't happen. Into, and then you get into you'll you'll see five pieces of evidence that point to that being true 
Yeah. And then they will try to point to one gray piece, right? That mm -hmm. that could potentially disprove it. And it's it is very strange. The whole thing is really strange to observe. And it's it's super weird that they've gone after Graham, Graham Hancock in so many just obscene yeah. ways. I mean, he just he just had to cancel um, an event in Asheville, North Carolina, that he was supposed to attend because uh, I don't think that he felt safe going there. Um, people have accused him of out of nowhere, people have accused him. By the way, I'll get to your question in a second. <laughs> I haven't forgotten it. People no, have accused him of, they've called him a racist. I'm like, but he married a woman of color. Like, like they've accused him of being this or that. Or And, and the reality is, he, he says it in Ancient Apocalypse. I, I don't claim to be an archaeologist or, you know, I'm a, just a journalist looking for the truth that's exactly what we need more of in a lot yeah. of places in science and politics and everything we need journalists that are just looking for the truth and more importantly we need people who are willing to listen to objective truth right and maybe because... that's a big problem with him and it is like this in a lot of fields where the our our culture is set up that we have to have an education we have to do this we have to do that in order to be qualified to do this or you can just work really hard at it and get better than the person that spent seven years in college that is now seven years behind learning the job and yeah. both yeah. are correct like both are fine you know depending on your field i guess but still like he's not an archaeologist he's not doing this he's not doing that and yet he's finding more answers than archaeologists do because he's putting yeah. in the work he's putting in the time he's investigating it's like there's nothing wrong with that. It's like maybe it's just people are butthurt that they're <laughs> that, uh, you know, <laughs> like you said, maybe it's just ego. Maybe it's just, you know, human nature, I guess. I don't know. He's following in the footsteps of of great people in that, like Thomas Jefferson, for example, was a mm -hmm. self-taught architect, right? He didn't go to college to learn architecture, and yet he designed Monticello himself. Like he did it all himself. Um, Paul Stamets is the world's most, the for, world's foremost expert in fungi and mushrooms. Like he's classified new uh, new species of mushrooms or uh, new, not species, but whatever the trickle down part of that scientific yeah yeah is. I can never remember the species family blah blah. All those things, but he's he's found genus? new ones. Genus? He's found new gene, like, yeah, genus, whatever, whatever. Yeah, is. Yeah. He's found new ones. He's classified new ones. He's the he is the most uh, he's the world's biggest expert in, in mushrooms and, and fungi, including the psychedelic ones. That's his specialty. He's self taught. He didn't go to the university to learn that stuff. Mm -hmm. He just he found something that he was passionate about. And he learned more about it than anyone else. And Graham Hancock's the same way. You know, he's, he's, I think that, you know, through some of his fictional works, he started asking a lot of questions. Sure. And, um, and that journalistic instinct in him has caused him to seek, seek answers that are being roadblocked deliberately in a lot of places. It's, it's a strange thing to see and to see them attack him with such vitriol is, it's, it's frankly, it's sad, and it, it's a, it's. I'm I'm afraid that it's um, 
sort of a mirror of what's going on in society right now, which is people that, you know, like, nah, 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 boo, boo, maybe, and that leads, and that's even more, you know, more credence to like secret society stuff with Illuminati stuff and this and whatever, where there's, there's, there's someone with an agenda in this case, in the historical world, that is just like, no, this is history. And this is the accepted history because we are doing this or because of this. It's like, like you said, it's what it feels like. It feels like things are purposely being blocked in some ways yeah, for some unknown motive. Yeah. Well, there have always yeah. been, there have always been, and probably will always be groups of people that are, are desperate to maintain control and authority. And, um, you know, one, one of the things that I've been asking a lot lately with, because I'm a Christian, mm -hmm. but I, you know, I see a lot of uproar against Harry Potter and it's the, the devil and all this stuff. And, um, and you know people will, would say oh, you shouldn't shouldn't even have a pretend magic wand and blah blah and i'm like let me ask you something what is a magic wand well it's a it's a piece of you know it's a piece of wood that you wave around to conjure magic and magic's of the devil okay so let's just pull that devil out for a second and just say it's magic it's a power right yes you wave that stick around and it manipulates that power. Great. Didn't Moses do the same thing with a piece of wood? Him, him and his brother. <laughs> right? Him and his brother. Yeah. But struck the a rock. family affair. <laughs> struck the rock and water came out. By the way, there's a myth uh, with Poseidon that, the, that he did the same miracle in, yeah. at, the, in, at, the, at the base of the Acropolis in Athens, that he struck it and water came out, right? Yeah. And so, so it's okay for Moses to wave around a, a stick that is a lot like a wand and make things change and do different things. But it's not okay to tell stories about children doing this uh, for the greater good, by the way. They're yeah, I mean, think about it. I mean, this is where evil. the can of worms can be opened because I know, if, I know, if, I know. If, you take, if you take belief in religion out of it, what was Jesus Christ? Right. He was, he was a he sorcerer. Was a he was a magician. I mean, yes. I, I'm just saying it's like, but we are taught, you know, who he is, you know, and we're taught that he's obviously the good guy. You know, he's the lamb. Yeah. He, he is, you know, but you're, it, it's base, 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 base element. It's base argument. He's a warlock. <laughs> it's just like you're sitting here going. And you that's know, so, heresy, by the way. That's blasphemy. Oh, I know. But to, to, and, and what I always say when people say that to me is, according to who? Yeah. Well, it's according to the Bible. It is not according to the Bible. It's according no. to the organization that compiled it. Yeah. But why is it that we have? Yeah. You know, why is it that like my my denomination would would say what I'm saying is heresy too? But whatever, they're not infallible. I, yeah. you know, why is it that we my denomination and many others accept the Dead Sea Scrolls as authentic scripture? And yet we don't study them. Why? Well, because in the Dead Sea Scrolls, fallen angels have sex with human women. And that makes people squeamish, yeah. right? That people don't like that. It also, it also has a lot of empowering stuff. The Book of Enoch, for example, and how he traveled the universe with the angels and learned about technologies and things that nobody here had ever even considered. And then he returned, right? We're not told that in the, cano you know, the canonical stuff, in the Torah and those things. So... 
Why? Well, this is why secret mystery schools were established and why esoteric secret societies were established. And they've been demonized and by me too in fiction, right? Like I I demonize some, some secret societies in my fiction. Um, But, but the reality is, is that it's, it's entirely possible that they're not really the bad guys. There's like a strong tie with occult stuff to Satan, but there's not, there's a significant differentiation between the two, right? If you study the stuff that the Rosicrucians understand, for example, everything they, they study and teach points to God and points to Jesus' teachings and deeper versions of them. There's no worship of darkness. There's no like trying to sacrifice, you know, children or animals yeah. or anything. There's nothing like that. And yet they've been demonized because why? Same reason Graham Hancock has been demonized, right? Yeah. There's there's an element of control and authority there. And I branched off into a 20-minute segue from your question. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, you still you still gave us a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of answer, honestly, because it, it <laughs> kind of, no, it, it does. And the way that the way that you talk about it and, the, you know, the, how passionate you are about it, you know, it's obvious, you know, you you just have a deeper love for uh, just history in general, let alone our country's history or, you know, a, a random country's history in, you know, southeast whatever, you know, yeah. so it's like. Um, I'm the, I'm the same way where, you know, you, you, I'll, I'll, I follow a bunch of different pages on Instagram, for instance, and I'll just, I'll see, uh, so I just saw a picture of, uh, uh, what is it called? Whale rock, three whale rock rock. And it's gorgeous. It's magnificent. And I'm just like, I'm enthralled by it because of just like, it's beautiful and it's odd looking. And it's, you know, you're sitting here going like where does that kind of stuff exist in the world you know what i mean it's like or mm-hmm. how does it and you know and, i mean yeah it's a natural formation blah 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 but it's just your mind just starts running with possibilities and ideas and i guess that's also just the mind of a, a creator but um but yeah actual physical um like influences like i guess we'll say media influences um that have kind of like helped helped you along the way or at least helped spur you into you know becoming yes. a writer so so before Finally, we come back to your question. My bad. Yeah. So, fu- no. so uh, before before I saw Indiana Jones, before I read a Clive Cussler book, before uh, I played Tomb Raider, which I loved, and Uncharted mm-hmm. too, loved it. Before any of that, I was um, at my grand my grandfather's house on my mother's side, and uh, I was over at over at their house and. They had a lot of old books, and one of the books they had was um, Ancient Wonders of the World, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I still have this book somewhere. I, I found it rummaging through their things. There, he, My grandfather died in 1985 from a heart attack, and, um, and then my grandmother shut down and just never was the same. Really didn't even talk much after that for like 15 years. But uh, after she was gone, I went through a lot of their things and, and I found some of these old books that had inspired me as a kid to really take an interest in history. And, and the ancient wonders stuff was really, really cool to me because we had these things that we know existed or were, were certainly did just based on 
based on a lot of oral tradition, based on some textual evidence, but uh, that it's just, they're gone, right? Uh, yeah. The seven wonders of the ancient world are, are you know, those things were, are, would be incredible to find real yeah. evidence of those things. And, um, and not just leave them to lore. And, and I was, I always thought that was such a cool book. And then there, he had another book that was, um, I can't remember the title of it, but it was, it had to do with, uh, lo uh, lost and hidden, um, treasures here in, in the, in the, nor in North America and in, in the United States mostly dealing with outlaw stuff mm -hmm. that um, outlaws had had robbed a bank and hidden something here or that kind of thing. And so then I found other other books like that in, in my grandfather's stash that, um, you know, treasure hunting type books like where is this treasure now? Yeah. And those I would peruse. Uh, I would go to Barnes and Noble and go to the clearance section at the front. Yeah. You know, where you would find some of your big box authors. Yeah. And, like, like I found Thomas Matthew. Books. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was Nick saying, like, yeah, well, like you, like I would like, that's where sometimes I would buy James Rollins stuff after it had been out for a year. You know, I'd get the hardback and go, oh, I got the hardback for like eight bucks or whatever it ends up being. But I would also go to the reference section and you'd have all these atlases. You'd have all of these uh, ancient history books. Like I have, I still have a bunch of them, these reference books. And you just flip through it and you're just, you're like, you get lost in it because it's just, it's one of those things where I guess, I guess I just go back to what it was, was I just don't understand it because I'm not a part of it. You know, like I'm reading the reference of it all, trying to understand and trying to figure it out and I can't, and it bothers me. And it's yeah. like, it bothers me that I can't figure it out. And then of course, what do you do? You go on the deeper hunt, <laughs> you go on that yeah. deep dive which is scary nowadays, some of those research deep dives that we can get into. But, uh, sure. but um, what about um, like fiction authors and stuff? Because I mean, we, we all had we all had our favorites, you know, like, I mean, I mean, one of my favorites before I started writing, you know, I've talked at nauseum was uh, Jeremy Robinson's original stuff, his old stuff, ah, Matthew Riley. Yeah, Matthew Riley's Jack West Jr. series, you know, dealing directly with the seven ancient wonders of the world. Um, and, and like that kind of stuff where it's just it's just this big, massive world that they create. And, you know, I try to do the same thing now. You're doing a good job with it. Um, Thank you. And, and following in those guys' footsteps is, uh, it's, you could do a lot worse. Uh, I remember emailing Jeremy when I was just starting out in 2008-ish. Mm -hmm. I was, I finally decided, maybe 2007, finally decided to start writing my first novel and actually finish it. And I reached out to him because I knew he was independent and, you know, and asked him if he would give me some advice. And he, he answered me, which just shocked me. Um, yep. I, I emailed Barry um, years later. I, I emailed Steve Barry because I'd, I'd written, I hadn't started reading Steve Barry's stuff yet. And then somebody read my, my first book and they're like, this is a lot like Steve Barry's. And I was like, Oh, I should check this guy out. Um, so I emailed Steve and didn't get a response back from him. Uh, but, but Jeremy did respond and, and he told me, you know, to do this job, you have to work harder than anybody else. Right. And yeah. you have to constantly be working, constantly be trying to make things, you know, make the next story better. 
just really cool that he responded and um yeah he did know. the same thing with me i mean like you said i was a beta reader for him before i ever became an author that's you right know, yeah you I mentioned doing, that i was doing artwork for him and i was you know it was great and then realized that writers are just people with yep. creative thought and um when i decided to start writing my first book i mean there was a group of guys that i i always think which is jeremy sean ellis king gilmore kent holloway um there was a lot of guys from that group uh his you know a lot of his co-authors that's how i met david wood um that oh he, word yeah and and really just started bouncing ideas and you know what do you think of this as a plot or what do you think of this as the character you know just because i didn't know how to develop a story you know and mm -hmm. and i i was always impressed especially jeremy um i was always impressed with how quickly he got back to me and how helpful he was and even now i'll message him i don't talk to him as regularly as i used to but uh, i'll message him and say oh this looks great i thought you would like this just because it'll it'll like you know like oh this is so funny you wrote about this 15 years ago or whatever yeah. He'll, message, he'll message me almost, you know, I don't want to say immediately, but he'll message me pretty much, you know, soon and he'll laugh about it and he'll go, oh my God, that's hilarious and whatever. Like, you know, I mean, and that's what kind of got me started was seeing that, you know, like it's just, it's just, it's, it's another version of me. It's just a regular guy that decided to tell a story. Yeah. And that's what made me want to do it more. Cause I'm like, oh, I can do this. You know, I can do this. It, was, it wasn't like, oh, I'm never going to get published. I have to start, you know, the cliche of running around Manhattan with your with your with your printed out manuscript and getting denied by 400 different public. Like, I realized none of that is true, you know, not yeah. anymore. And I'm like, oh, that's exciting. That was like, oh, my God, I, I this is like and then, you know, now nine, eight years, nine years later. I don't know. I don't know how long I've been doing this. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> it all runs together. Well, for me, nine years, nine years, 2004. Uh, first book was released in five, but I started writing it in four. Yeah. There you go. So nine years. Yeah. Well, so for me, it was I uh, what got me interested in the genre was was the things I talked about before. I was already interested in that subject matter as a mm -hmm. kid. Same. And then I saw Indiana Jones and then I played Tomb Raider and then Uncharted and National Treasure way later on. But yeah. uh, so I've always liked that stuff. You say way later on. National Treasure is 20 years old. <laughs> I know. No, I know. Um, it's, that hurts. <laughs> no. So, uh, yeah, so I but but those things, those things really sparked my interest in mm -hmm. that in in entertainment and that uh, venues. So, yeah. So, it, but it, it started with the real interest in, in treasure hunting and finding artifacts and not, 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 not even for the money part, the, the money part, like you find something or whatever, it, you might get a reward or you might, you know, whatever, how that would look with a treasure find. I don't even know, but the, um, cause there are so many, so many ways that governments and, uh, yeah. states and, nations and all that stuff like if you find something it's theirs or whatever so there's a lot yeah. of a lot of weirdness that goes on with that sort of line of work but for me it's it's always been more about what it would feel like to find something that hasn't been seen in 500 years or a thousand years or you know 2000 years stuff like that that was seen and touched by human eyes and hands and that hasn't been in such a long time I, that to me, it's like a spiritual thing, it but is. the, the, um, so I had that passion and then 
I never really read anything in that vein. Like I, I got started reading with fantasy with Dragonlance Chronicles. That's what got me interested in reading. And I still love fantasy to this day. But uh, I think that as far as literature is concerned, the first book that really got me um, switching switching genres was, was Count of Monte Cristo, which okay. is sort of a treasure hunt. It's a big revenge tale. It's influenced a lot of the revenge stuff that I've written into my characters. Um, and, you know, somebody, you know, I think it was it my wife maybe might have said that it, it's extremely vengeful. It's like super dark how vengeful he was. And I'm like, yeah, I can relate to that. Um, and that's, I don't know what that says about me, but don't, <laughs> don't cross me. Um, but, but then after that, I, I found, uh, I don't remember how long after it was, but I, I picked up the Da Vinci code yep. and when I read the Da Vinci Angels code, and Demons, Da Vinci code. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read, uh, Da Vinci code first and then Angels and Demons. And so, I was like, okay, I, I have tons of ideas like this. Like I have a lot of stuff and a lot of knowledge about stuff like this. And I, I read about it for fun. Yeah. And then I was like, there's gotta be other, other writers like this guy that writes this sort of stuff or Indiana Jones type stuff. And that's when I found Clive Cussler and it was like 2004. Like I had never, really read in that genre before. So I was late to the party when it came to the, the reading side of those things. And then once I started reading Custler, I really liked him and how like Custler's Custler's like watching an action movie. It's totally, it's like a Transformers movie. It's totally unrealistic, right? <laughs> yeah. of, you know, like, you know, falling over a cliff and holding on with your fingernails while you're holding on to somebody else who's also got a 50 pound backpack on and like you couldn't hold yourself up much yeah, less. Physics, like physics don't person. always have to exist, I guess. Yeah. The, the <laughs> realism. I, I like that though, because it, yeah. it's fun to read. It's fun to watch. And, yeah. and so, but it does, he does mix it in with real research and, and, yeah. and locations and things like that. So um, I, I loved that. And so I really got, I got into him and then, um, and then Rollins, of course, and then years later, uh, I started reading some of Steve Barry's stuff. And um, I even in one book, because we're so because our stuff is so similar and Steve's originally from Atlanta um, or he, he lived in Atlanta a long time. He might have been from Charleston, but he lives in St. Augustine now. I I included a little Easter egg tribute to Steve in the Norse directive and his bookstore that's in, uh, Cotton Malone's bookstore that's in Copenhagen. So, oh, cool. um, so, and I've had some emails from people like, Hey, was that a nod to Steve Barry? And I'm like, yes, because I really like the way he tells stories. Uh, I think yeah. he's great. But oh, so, I had a yeah, book where I had a book where my character was reading about an ex Aussie SAS with a Skywalker mechanical arm. And, and people are like, well, that's obviously a Jack West Jr. book. I'm like, yep, <laughs> that was the point. I needed to make it really obvious. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, and I, I do that all the time. Oh my god, the the pop culture references and the uh, yep. and the this I I can't I can't not do it because no. that's how my brain thinks. My brain will go, oh, that's like from this, yep. and I'm like, oh, I mean, if if I'm the writer, I'm also the character, you know, at this point. So Same. why not include him into there? So I do the exact um, same thing. 
Yeah, same thing. I mean, and, and speaking of that, um, like we talked off camera with uh, writing processes and stuff and how it does, it can change from story to story, kind of, I guess, just based on, um, honestly, for me, based on the feel of the book. But, um, you know, we were talking uh, outlining. And uh, so in this case, outlining versus pantsing. I know you and I are more traditionally, uh, we lean more towards that pantsing, just kind of like get into the story and just let it come, you know, let it go. But um, we were also talking how there is a very, very uh, um, helpful uh, kind of uh, uh, helpful thing with outlining as far as like story development, especially with some of the stories as we try to make them more and more complex. <laughs> yeah, it's, so. it's helped. I've, I'm, I'm using more and more outline stuff now mm -hmm. because of that. And also, you know, I've, I've always been a big proponent of using a roadmap to know where you're going. So yeah. I would always have a shell of an outline or a fence that I could play in. Yeah. But now I'm, I'm trying to do more detailed outlines so that the, I can really work faster, but also, um, not, not, I, I fight laziness, right? Like, um, yeah. I have, I have pretty, pretty substantial attention deficit. So, my ADHD begs me to pick up my phone and check it for no reason, right? Mm -hmm. Or to get up and go get a drink of water when I'm not thirsty or go get a snack when I'm not hungry, just so that I can avoid doing what I need to do. Yeah. And Regardless of what the task is, it, it's not even... doesn't matter, but it's especially... Just yeah, just yeah but, yeah, yeah, but especially with writing, and it's 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 extremely difficult to deal with, and um, it's it's been really challenging for the last, you know, 15 years or whatever, since I started doing it. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially since I've gone full time in, in 2015, when I went full time, it got, it actually got harder yep. to have more time on my hands. So that's more time for me to screw off and get distracted. And yeah. so, especially when you're home, you're home all the time, there's always other things you could be doing. Yeah. I, well, I need yeah. to do this. Like I'm going to do this now. Oh, I should go check this. And so, it's a it's a constant battle yeah. and having a good outline i've noticed helps rein that in a little bit but um i also always resisted creating an outline up until recently because um i the laziness didn't want me to do that either like it didn't sure. want me to sit down and spend the work spend the time doing the you know spend the effort um creating this thing and then I use the excuse that it's not productive because I should be writing words for the story. I shouldn't Same. be like just 100%. planning all the time. And 100%. that's true. You, you shouldn't just be planning all the time because then you're not doing it. Like if you, you can read all the fishing magazines in the world, but until you go <laughs> fishing for real, you're not a fisherman, right? So you do yeah. need to sit down and write the story. But I think that um, getting rid of that laziness and, and, and that procrastination that's kind of wired into my brain and just sit down and do the outline. Or like I told you before the, the, the show, uh, I, you know, it helps me to go for a walk and just talk through the outline. Sure. And do the story, you know, the chapter beats that way. It's, it's been, it's been very helpful because yeah. now I just have to sit down and I have to act out the story because I know the direction. So, yeah, like it's always uh, getting the story set up is always the hardest part. Um, physically mm -hmm. writing the story, once you're in the scene and you're living in it, 
that's what we do. I mean, that's just our, that's what's fun for us. That's what's easy for us is when I'm in the scene and I'm in my character's head and, and I know what I'm supposed to be doing, the words just fly because that's, that's, you know, that's just a part of it. But it's getting all of that set up and figuring out where they go next and the logistics behind it. I'm very big when it comes to travel logistics. I like to make it as realistic as possible. Or as, and if it's a difficult travel from there to there, I like to showcase that because you can do the classic, I, I know I've done it, where the classic hero drop, where it's like, Oh, now he's in this country. Well, it's like, what happened in between? It's like, you know, yeah. like, like I, I sometimes get a little bit too deep into detail with stuff like that. But for me, it's, 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 a, it's the journey. So why not include some stuff like that, especially if I can build in maybe a little humor or a little, little more research uh, on the mm-hmm. area, you know, why not? That's just, you know, that's healthy fat for the story. But, yeah. um, so, <laughs> so healthy out- fat for yeah. the story. Is that what you said? Yeah. Healthy fat. Like an avocado for the story. Yeah, it is. It's good cholesterol. Almond. It's good. Yeah, it's good cholesterol. Well, because if you if you cut out all the quote unnecessary things to the story, and all you have is this streamlined start to finish, mm-hmm. to me, there's no flavor. No. And You're that's where, right? Yeah, the, the healthy fat is is is, in my case, necessary. It, it really is, because um, it does kind of help with those parts where. You know, like you can't be, you know, 110 miles an hour the entire time, but you also don't want to have it screech to a halt. So it's like, how do you get to one thing to the next? And sometimes those fat parts is kind of how you kind of come down from that high or build up to that peak, you know, and and like driving on a mountain road and seeing a little coffee shop on the stand and, oh, let's get some coffee. Well, now I can include this area's, you know, what do they serve? You know, how's the weather out right now? What's this? What's that? And I'm like, well, if I'm traveling in these countries, you know, I want to be able to pull back and just, and just like go, wow, this is like incredible. This is cool. And that's somebody that doesn't travel a lot. So I guess maybe that's why, <laughs> you know, yeah, I appreciate roller physics. You, you have to have that, the roller coaster physics, you have yeah. to have, you can't just go downhill all the time. No. You can't just be 90 miles an hour. It doesn't work that way. You have to slowly climb the hill. Yeah, you really right? do. And not everything can be an episode of 24 where it's, but that that was but in media that's the allure for that was that it's just yeah. from start to finish it's that like crazy boom 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 but that for like entertainment for like an hour that's fine because then you get your breather and you're done you know but for a book that could be three four five hundred pages mm-hmm. you know eventually the reader gets you know a little sweaty they put it down they're like okay i gotta stop i need you know and you know putting down yeah. the book is the worst thing possible but um so right. what about outside of this? Um, like, I know you, but, you know, as far as outside of all of this stuff, you know, outside of the work, outside of this, I, like, I know you're huge into sports, especially Atlanta sports. Um, but, uh, you know, like, and, and I know, you know, like we, you know, we do uh, Disney vacations and stuff. And, you know, we're a very big fan of uh, the food festivals at Epcot. Um, but uh, like outside of this, like what is what is Ernie doing when it's when it's not actual work? I love festivals in general, by the yeah. way. Like, that's the thing I miss most about Europe. And I haven't been over there in a while. But uh, it, I, I miss the, like, little town festivals in Germany. And, mm-hmm. like, it seemed like there was a different festival going on in a different town or a different village every week. And I thought that was just so cool, just celebrating, just celebrating something, right, all the time. Yeah. Um, so what I'm doing when I'm not, when I'm not writing uh well i'm usually 
playing with my kid and mm -hmm. then from the my free time in it my free time is at night from about 9 to 11 p.m. when she goes to bed at 9 i can um i can do some of the things that i want to do what do you, what do you mean you don't want to play with your kid yes i want to play with my kid but i can't play call of duty modern warfare 2 with my kid in the room right yeah. or i can't watch the braves game because she doesn't care about baseball or i can't watch the soccer game because she doesn't care about sports so the things that i really love doing for me are done in that like two hour window at night. So usually I'll play, I'll play my Xbox for a couple of hours. Well, not for a couple of hours for like a half hour. And then, um, I might watch, I might watch a show or might watch a movie with the wife, uh, stuff like that. We yeah. just finished Mandalorian. Although I hear there could be a secret episode dropping today. Um, that would be and, interesting because all I've heard so far is the movie that Dave Filoni is going to produce and direct. So, yeah, so that's I, all I've well, heard. Yeah, cool. I, I don't know. I've I've read some interesting stuff about uh, Pedro as well. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But I, yeah, I like I like Ted Lasso a lot. This is the final season of that? I've been watching that. I watched the the re half of the recent episode last night of that. So. I do that. I'll, I'm just, you know, it's usual entertainment stuff. Sometimes very rarely I'll go out and meet a friend to, to chat or whatever, but that usually doesn't happen. It's usually just me on the couch. Um, but I, I also like during my work day, I, I work out five times a week. So I'm always hitting the weights or the, well, mostly body weight exercises or doing some cardio and sure that sort of thing. But yeah, I, Really, I just uh, have a pretty, it's a pretty boring life, actually. I just, nothing exciting. Yeah, well, that's also, uh, I mean, that's me too. But at the same time, that's, that's I guess, the low-key, you know, preference, uh, you know, lifestyle is like every time I, you know, not every time, but I mean, I, I've been there a few times. Every time I'm in Tennessee or northern Georgia and, you know, I'm in, in like mountains, I'm like, yep, this is me. They're like, what would you do for fun? I'm like, absolutely nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and I, but I want that. I'm okay with that. I am not that outward, even though I did, I was in retail for almost two decades. I am not that outward. I have to be around people. I have to be talking. No. I have to do this. That's not who I am. Like personally, that's what I was because that's what I did. Yeah. You know, but I have yeah. Friends that are that way that they're, they're, the, they're like that. They can't, they, they, they can't not be around a lot of people. And I'm yeah. yeah, I'm the same as you. I'm like, no, I'm good. Pretty yeah. simple. Yeah, same, same. It, well, especially now. I mean, look, we're talking. I mean, you, you're in yeah. Chattanooga. I'm in Wellington, and you know, and you know, I'm I'm basically 14 hours from you, 12 hours from you, and we're sitting here talking. We don't have to go out. We don't have to do anything. So, I mean, that is the one thing that I guess uh, a lot of the lockdowns what it created was it did kind of create a more of a global community. Um, because, you know, like I host a podcast with a buddy of mine who lives in Newcastle, Australia, <laughs> you oh. know, he's, he's 14 hours ahead of me. He's in the future. And, you know, I had a reader from there. That's yeah. He's in New South Wales, Newcastle. Yeah. And, and that's where Rich is, lives. And, you know, him and I do a podcast together and we talk, you know, a couple times a week, you know, we're, we're talking in, on, on this, on StreamYard. And that's not possible with, with, I mean, technology in general, but just, I think the the mentality of it is like 
this is available. This is easy. This is, you know, cool. You know, it's nice to do instead of sitting there texting or messaging all the time. <laughs> you know, it's nice to be able to actually talk. And like some of the authors that I've interviewed, like Kent Holloway, I've known Kent longer than any of these, any of you guys that I've, that I've had on uh, <coughs> because of my relationship with Jeremy. And I got to talk to him for the very first time live. And I was just like, wow, this is cool. Cause you knew me before I was a, a writer and that kind of stuff. And, you know, mm -hmm. I would have never been able to do that. And it's, you know, I like, you know, I like doing this, but it, it, I think it's the community thing where it's like, I can sit here and talk to people all day and I love doing it. I just don't really want to go out and do it. <laughs> no. no I'm it's not the talking part. It's the going out and doing something part. <laughs> yeah. When people say to me, hey, come, why don't you come out and meet me for a drink? I'm like, I'm good. I don't really I mean, feel like I have a house. brewery right down the street from me that I'll go to and meet some friends at occasionally, but it's five minutes from my house. So, I mean, that's, it, it, it's that's about my that's about my cutoff if it's yeah. if it's 10 15 if it's 15 minutes away i start questioning if it's worth it like if it's, if it's 10 yeah. minutes i know five minutes is just getting out of my neighborhood and out to the main road so the sure. other five minutes i'm like okay i guess but if people who like are going downtown to downtown chattanooga that's 15 to 20 minutes and that's it seems forever away from here i'm like no probably yeah. more like 25 minutes but yeah i'm just um no i'm not i'm not interested yeah i mean the, the way wellington is built is we're on the whole town is on like the southwest corner of two of the the biggest like highways in the area um sort of major roads so it's like you go north to get out of wellington or you go east to get out of wellington you have everything at your fingertips that you could possibly want when it comes to, you know, Costco's and different, you know, grocery stores and retail and restaurants. And so I don't have to go anywhere outside of 10 minutes if I don't want to. Like I could literally live a happy life without leaving my house from, you know, driving for more than 10 minutes and traffic depending. So it's like, I guess I, I'm also just not in a super rural area where I have to go somewhere to see anything. Um, I am kind of like right in the middle of it and it's, it makes life easier because I don't have to go anywhere for too long if I have to go anywhere at all. But, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, so, um, I like to kind of, uh, wrap things up, which is going to be a whole nother conversation, but it, it, it's an interesting <laughs> one in general, because, um, if the person listening, uh, or, you know, watching on YouTube, um, doesn't know where to start with your stuff or you know like oh man i really you know but you know you have a lot of, you have a lot of content out there um i do you know nick kevin there's a lot of us out there who are you know that are prolific and you know we have a lot to choose from um where would you point a new reader to and be like this is an ernie book this is ernest Dempsey at his core this is if you want to know who i am and what i produce read this Yes. Yeah, so the, it's funny, you know, secret of the stones is my first Sean Wyatt book. And if you're interested in diving into that series, it's the, it's probably the best place to start. It's also not my best book and you know, nobody's first book is their best book. I know that yeah. Nick Thacker, you know, uh, rewrote and rewrote and rewrote some of his first books until they were, until they were better. Um, and, and I did do some of that. Like I did have, you know, newer edits done and things of that nature to, to yeah. make those early books a little bit better. Uh, but for, you know, if you're, if you're interested, it just depends on what you're interested in. If you're interested in the archeological thriller stuff, like, you know, the Indiana Jones national treasure type things, then secret of the stones is a good place to start for my, my series in that genre. If you're, 
if you like more like a Lee Child, Jack Reacher kind of thing, or like Mark Dawson type character, um, John Milton, or, you know, those kind of, those mm -hmm. kind of guys, or Mitch Rapp, those sure. types uh, from Vince Flynn, you know, those kind of characters, then you should read The Courier, which is the first book in the Relic Runner series. And I think mm -hmm. you'll, You'll, if you're interested in that sort of stuff, you'll really like that series because it's it's completely unique. There's not really anything out there like it. There are characters like him, but they're not doing the things that he's doing for the reasons he's doing them. Sure. And so okay. um, I think that that's a, a unique spin on that genre. And then if you're if you're into folklore and legends and mysteries and things that go bump in the night and you and you want to see bad guys get their comeuppance in um, violent ways, then um, then read the read the Gideon Wolf series and start with Emergence book one and book three comes out 28th. And um, so we're still early in that series. So it won't take you long to catch up um, that that series is also different in that I write it in the first person. The other two are in third person. So um, kind of a you know, a Jim Butcher style of, of writing. Um, but I love yeah, writing I, in first person, it's just, it's, it, it's very, very, very like, it can be very dangerous. It's difficult. It's difficult. Uh, yeah. It is, but it's not, it, it isn't, it isn't, I guess. Yes. It, yes. I know yeah. exactly what you mean. It, because you can be vague because the character doesn't know everything. You know, if you're in the first person, the world that you're creating, the character only knows as much as he knows. That's correct. And that's what's hard. And you can't, yeah. you can't show. So I do a lot of transition scenes in the other two series, right? Where you chapter or two or three with the good guy, then a chapter with the bad guy. Yeah. Right. You can't do that first you can't person. Do that so first you have person. to, everything is, it, it's playing out in that POV. And it's, a, so it's, it's different to build the depth of the villains without putting yourself in the room with those villains. Exactly. And, uh, and, and anybody else that's an ancillary character or whatever it's, so it's, it's challenging, but I enjoy it and I enjoy being able to bounce from one to the other because it yeah. kind of keeps things fresh. Yeah. And, it, and what I like about first person too, is it inherently keeps it fast paced and suspenseful because mm. everything's happening in the moment, you know, mm -hmm. it's, you're not, you're not telling a story. You are the story you're in the story. Right. You know, where that's where that was my biggest problem with uh, as a writer uh, starting out writing traditional third person past was I'm like, I just I feel like I'm reading a story to somebody, you know, I'm telling the story to somebody. And that's the whole show versus tell thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, if you feel like you're telling a story to somebody, then you are. If you feel like you're showing a story to somebody. OK, now we can, you know, once I kind of got that through my thick skull. Uh, it became a lot easier because I, I just inherently liked first person present better because I just felt like I'm, it's just, it's, it's all happening in the moment. It's more fun. It's more mm. fast. -paced. You do present tense first person. I do the past tense. Oh, first. oh no. Yeah. My, my Frank, uh, my Frank moon series, my unseen books, uh, my post-apocalyptic kind of monster stuff is first person present. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. yeah. I'm not put off by first person present. I just I've never done first person past. So that's interesting for me too. I yeah. did. I did it one other time with a, with two books that I wrote called the dream writer. And, um, I, a few, it has a very small cult following that series. There's only mm -hmm. two books to it. And people every now and then I'll get a message asking when I'm going to write the third one. Cause it's been nine years since maybe 10 years since I wrote the second one. Okay. And, uh, and I left it 
for room for a third or whatever but i guess it would be more like investigatory like police procedural stuff like where you're mm. like recounting a mission or recounting a situation i guess uh like i could see first person past working with that too just because mm -hmm. you know like he's being interviewed like a debrief and he's kind of why well, I, mm -hmm. I did this i did that and blah blah you know I'm like okay so i guess in my head i'm going I don't know where personally I could write in that style and make it work, but I'm, uh, so yeah, anyways, but, um, and then the other, the other question I have is, uh, a book recommendation written by somebody else and whether it's fiction, nonfiction, whether it's something you just found really entertaining or something that just had a, uh, a profound effect on you that you, you would love people to, uh, check out, um, other know. than your work, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, like Roosevelt like, conspiracy, Roosevelt conspiracy. Yes, I know. Thank you. But yeah, so I mean, like, you know, I always, you know, mention, you know, I've talked about him on this show. A lot of the guys that really got me going into this industry were my favorite authors. They weren't just, you know, mentors and friends, you know, uh, but, you know, like the Antarctos saga from Jeremy Robinson is probably my favorite series ever written. And, you know, it's uh, it's very different from anything he's r produced and very different from anything I've produced. But it was just four or five different genres packed into one and it was entertaining and it was fun. And, cool. you know, but, uh, you know, but like, like it's not I wouldn't say it's a profound effect on me as a writer because the content isn't really what I do. But as just as a consumer, I was just so enamored by it. Hmm. So I don't know if you have, you know, I mean, you can spout off a few if you have, but just like stuff that make, and we talked earlier with the reference books and with, you know, Cussler and those kind of guys, but um, was there anything that was like, wow, this is like, like incredible. Like the lock was like that for me from Steve Alton. Uh, when I read that, that was ridiculous um, in the best way possible. Um, uh yeah, that's a great question. Uh, for me, I think, I think my favorite book of all time was The Count of Monte Cristo, and I I've said that before. And, mm -hmm. um, Which I, is totally I feel, fine because I mean that I, was something that really did have an effect on you. I mean that was it, it a big did. influence for you. It was a huge it was a huge influence and a huge impact. I. I remember reading it at the beach when I was down in Florida visiting my girlfriend's family in like 99, maybe, I don't know. Um, I was reading it and they kept getting pissed off at me because I wouldn't socialize with them and hang out with them <laughs> and talk about pointless things. I, I just wanted to read that book. I couldn't put it down. And um, they wanted me to like, go walk with the manatees. And I'm like, no, I'm going to sit over here and keep reading this book. And so, um, I, uh, got into a lot of trouble with her at the time, but it worked out cause we never, we didn't stay together. So I, I think I won, um, with, you know, or at least the book won. The book so, won. <laughs> the count won. <laughs> um, but for me, it was so, it was so gripping and, you know, again, like recently, like last week, a friend of mine was like, that's just such a, like almost a psychopathic story of way that he did everything. And I'm like, it was beautiful. Like mm -hmm. everybody that ever wronged him got what they deserved. And, uh, but more than that, um, and I know as a Christian, I'm supposed, you know, I'm supposed to believe, uh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I know that. Uh, I'm not saying I'm going out and getting revenge, 
but I love reading good revenge tales. And um, yeah, as long I, as there's a line of entertainment versus like yeah. influence on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's entertaining. I'm not saying I am taking notes, but, but it's, but <laughs> I guess I really, am for content purposes. But <laughs> but what really, what really the story to me was more, more than a revenge story and any of that stuff was the immense amount of detail that Dumas put into everything. So like, yes, he was, he was getting revenge against this character, right? Mm -hmm. But uh you, you he had he had to learn so many details about that other character and their lives their homes their occupation their spouse their children their horses what they looked like like the like yeah the depth was, was yeah so much detail mm -hmm. but detail in a a useful way because you'll see writers do detail for the sake of detail even some of the guys that you and I've talked about that were big fans of Mm -hmm. They'll, I, I, I use this joke a lot about describing an oak desk in, you know, three pages to describe an oak desk, right? Like you don't need three pages of that and it doesn't contribute to the story unless you're going to drop that desk onto someone, right? Yeah. Or you're going to use that desk in a meaningful way. Yeah. Like or, for me, that was my problem with a lot of the, the Clancy stuff was yeah. the early, like the Rainbow Six stuff and that kind of stuff where I'm like, there's so much density and detail to it that I'm just, I, I honestly can't, I can't uh, grasp the story. And, right. you know. And that's but, something I continued to try to hone. And, I, you know, my yeah. editor left some comments in this most recent in Crimson Winter about, uh, about this very thing, um, because I've been working on doing it better and better with every book, making taking the details to the next level and making them meaningful. So I, I describe this old fishing guide in, uh, I, I don't do heavy descriptions and yet readers tell me all oh, your descriptions are so great. It feels like I'm right there. And I'm like, but I, I don't do heavy descriptions. Um, I do try to make sure that you feel things like the humidity or the heat or the surface, or you hear the sounds that are there, you see the things that are there, the colors there. And you, I try to engage the five senses. The smells are really powerful. But when it comes to uh, certain kinds of things, like a person's facial features, for example, their facial features can tell their story of their life, right? Mm -hmm. The wrinkles, the, the dark, you know, tan to it, or, you know, the, the way their hair looks, the way their eyes, you know, their eye, you know, the, the bags under their eyes or their, their, you know, how skinny they are, how large they are. What, there's so many things that can tell a micro story about that person and their struggle and, you know, in, in their journey. Right. And you can do all that stuff, but why would you do it? Right. Yeah. What, how does it impact the hero's journey? And so um, it's, I think it's, or, or how can you, how can you beautify the hero's journey with that description? Right. Because mm -hmm. otherwise you're just describing a desk and taking three pages to do it. And the, there's no relevance to that desk whatsoever. Yeah. So um, I think it's also that I just, 
I've always been enamored with action adventure and action adventure is supposed to be looser. It's supposed to be uh, not as heavily, heavily, heavily detail oriented, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that's yeah. also just my, my, I have to remember to include more detail. I just, <laughs> I like, I, I, you know, I want to move. I want to go. I want to, you know, I want to just, yeah. And sometimes you, you can, you know, how do you do all this detail while your hero is running for his life? And you're like, you know, that's where you have to like sprinkle it in and, and do it right. And that's, it's hard because I, I don't like my hero to not be moving, you know, sitting is terrible. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. like, so, but you have to make the sitting part <laughs> entertaining in some way. And, you know, so that's where, that's where I need to, and I still do, uh, try to work in detail and like you said, in a better way, in a way that it works in a way that it fits, mm -hmm. um, but, um, and real quick, this, this isn't, this was actually something I wanted to ask you earlier and I forgot, um, your Dak Harper series. I was just curious, I guess this is more of just me as a writer. Um, the way you introduced Dak was very unique in the shorts that you released mm. in his origin story, but you, you did those first before the career. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of authors and myself included, you know, you'll get the character established and then you could go back and do an origin story. Yeah, but you kind of went the other way. Uh, you you kind of and you released them individually as their own release, and then eventually you now have the collection. Uh, what was the decision process behind that? Because you don't see that a lot. You don't see a character introduction done that way. No, and that's a great question, Matt. Uh, first thing you have to understand is I might smart. steal it. I might steal it. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> no, the, the first but thing no, it's, you have to understand cool. is I'm smarter than everybody else. That is true. And, yes, you are. You're, you're ahead of the curve everywhere. Yeah, so if you just strive to reach my level of intelligence mm -hmm. and brilliance, then it's you're, it's just going to happen organically. Yeah. yeah. What? How it actually? How it actually played out was I'd, I'd been writing the Wyatt stuff in some spinoffs for that for a long time with Adriana Villa and mm -hmm. there's more of her stuff coming at some point. I keep getting asked when her, she's going to get a dedicated series and that will happen. But uh, with, with Dak Harper, I, I wanted to make sure that it was something that my readers wanted. So I did a pilot episode of one of, of one of six short origin short stories that fit into the whole origin story. Right. Mm -hmm. And I wrote, it was 18 or 19,000 words, I guess. So for the whole story, it's like 120,000 words, but it's um, book one was like 18 or 19,000. I wrote it in like a week or so. And I put it on book funnel and I asked and I sent it out to my readers and I said, Hey, you can download this story for free. Send it out to like 25,000 people at the time and said, uh, this is a free story. Tell me if you want more of it. And if you want more of it, then I'll write, uh, I have a plan for five more that completes this guy's like this guy's saga that will lead into a bigger series of full-length novels. This will be his origin story. And if you like this character and you want more of it, then please tell me. And that way I won't waste my time writing stuff that you won't want. And sure. um, and 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 that's what readers readers love that because they had input with it and they were they were involved with that whole process. And in it, look, I don't need to spend time writing stuff that people don't want. And, yeah. um, you know, that's not going to be helpful for me. It's certainly not, it's, you know, it's a waste of their time. 
And so that's why I did it that way. So um, the, the pilot, everybody really liked it. They said, please write another one of these. So um, I got about, I say everybody, I, about 60% of my Sean Wyatt fans are, are pretty diehard Relic Runner fans now. So that's how I did it. And then, uh, you know, book one followed. And I think I gave all six of those books away for free at one point, those short stories to my readers. And I dripped them out over a couple of months and, um, and did it that way. And then I compiled them all into the origin story, the, the omnibus of that. And so people who want to read the Relic Runner, they can start with the Courier and read the full-length books and then go back and read the origin story, or they can start with the origin story either way. Cool, cool. No, that, that, that's awesome because, like I said, I was, I was interested because I was uh, – I see it all the time, and I've done it, where you know you have your established character, but you're like, okay, well, what were they like before this? Yeah, and, you know, it can open up a whole new series because of that. But uh, the way that the way that you did it with it doing it first was just unique to me. And I, you know, I never asked you about it, actually, strangely. And, You're the uh, first person to actually ask me that question. Uh, oh, cool. No, because I guess and that is that is the business side of it where. You know, you do it and I do it where, you know, you're you're checking on your buddies, you're checking on your authors, you're checking on the guys bigger than us, seeing what they're doing, because uh, usually what they're doing, if it's successful, well, maybe I need to be doing something similar because, you know, that's the trend, that's the wave, you know, and, mm -hmm. we, you know, obviously we want to we want to set the trend, you know, that's that's ideal. But at the same time, there's a lot of like I stole putting an archaeological thriller as the subtitle of my books from you, you know, so, yeah. you know, when you, when you, when you started doing it with your Sean Wyatt books and I sat here and went, this is what I write, yeah. but I call them adventures, which is not wrong, but I'm like, but that's, that's the subgenre they really belong in. They're action thrillers, but they're, but they're not traditional historical action thrillers. No. And I'm like, an archeological thriller just makes sense. I mean, it, you it, know it, where it, that came from, right? No, I don't actually. I'd never seen the phrase before. I'd never, I'd never. So I'm going to claim that I coined it, but. Uh, I'd be fine with that. Because I, I don't, th I've ne I'd never seen it. There's a few of us that are now known as archaeological thriller authors. Yeah. That's what's so funny. Like you, right. there's Kevin, there's me, there's you. There's guys, yeah. there's like archaeological thrillers is what we write. It's like, it's, it's a genre. It's a subgenre that. Yeah, I guess we've grown over the last, you know, however many years. Well, Tumlinson and I were at the Nink conference years ago, and I think it was the first time that we'd actually met in person. And uh, we didn't really know each other. So he sees me from across the room, comes over. So I didn't know anybody at that conference at the time. So um, there's this little old me, you know, with my hands in my pockets and, um, so Tumlinson sees me and he comes across the room, starts talking to me and he's like, um, he's like, you, so I think that we write in the same genre. And I think this was how the conversation went. We, we write in the same genre, you know, with the, like the action adventure treasure hunt type stuff. And out of the blue, like I was tapping into the Akashic record, I said, yeah, archeological thrillers. And he's like, I like that. That's perfect. I said, yeah, yeah, it is. He goes, did you just come up with that? And I said, yeah. 
I did just come up with that. <laughs> like, we're going to use that. So, so Kevin and I kind of came up with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As I just said, you two are the ones that I saw. I mean, it's the first thing I saw you. And then as I got to know Kevin more, I was looking into his work. I was like, yep. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I may have, I don't think that I, it seems, it seems uh, my memory is a little all over. I may have used that term once before I used it with him, but I don't think so. I think that's the first time I said it. And so, awesome. so Kevin and I like, we started putting that on everything and then it it grew. (laughs) But what's funny is I remember distinctly before I started using that term, I would try to describe what people got. Well, what kind of books do you write? Well, it's, uh, it's this and this and this and this. And, but what I noticed after I started, when I just started saying, Oh, I write archeological thrillers. People are like, Oh, like Indiana Jones and National Treasure. So I didn't have like all the yeah. stuff I used to say, it was implied by those two words. So it, was, it. it seemed to seemed It to does. Work. It does. And, and and honestly, this is also the, the the behind the scenes thing. It also helps with the the viewability of the title on yeah. Amazon. I mean, it's the searchability of the words and yeah. it's an it's an action adventure. It's an archaeological and thrill and I'm like it it just it makes sense and it I know it's so funny because there's only there's only so many people I can talk to about that that get it and understand it. Yeah. And that's what's yeah. And like I said, uh, when 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 I saw you uh probably just republish stuff and changed uh the titles and you were adding the subtitles to some of your books and I saw an archaeological thriller. Yeah. But then you also have Sean Wyatt Adventure and I'm mm-hmm. like well, I already call my series of Jack Riley adventures at the time because that's what they were because they didn't feel like traditional thrillers. So what else right. could I call it? And I'm like, yeah, but adventure can sometimes sound too juvenile. Right. So I'm like, and I saw archaeological thrill. I'm like, oh, that's, <laughs> you know, that was perfect. You're and welcome. Was, You're I, welcome. You know what, Matt? It's funny because, you know, none of us ever, like, it's so rare to ever think of anything somebody else hasn't thought of. Yeah. And I, but I, especially when you write in the historical realm, there's only so much. (laughs) Yeah. I just, so much content. Kevin and I did it on this one. Like we, like, I, yeah, I I don't, maybe it's somewhere else beforehand. There's nothing new under the sun, but like, well, you you, never search archeological thrillers on Amazon. There's only so many that come up. Yeah. It's still not widely used, so you could probably trace it and figure out, you know, who's maybe before you and Kevin. But at the same time, it's like, you know, there's a few of them out there now that do it. You know, like I know uh, Luke well, there's Richardson. There's big names that do it now. Yeah, there's big guys I mean, out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what's so funny is I'm like, man, I wonder, because it kind of popped up all of a sudden, and then I'm like, I <laughs> and then I know it from you because I I I went out of my way to 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 when i was you know looking at uh, at your stuff one time um and i remember distinctively seeing it and i'm like oh okay that's cool but i never went further than that to see like who else i just decided to start doing it so it wasn't like oh i wonder who else does this yeah maybe well, a year or two later i was looking up other archaeological thrillers on amazon and you know that's when i saw kevin and saw a bunch of other people but yeah well, it doesn't matter who invented it because no, it's not it like works. I'm getting a nickel for every archaeological thriller out there that's sold. That would no. be sweet. All we need is a subgenre to publish under on KDP or something, or you know, where we can actually choose archaeological thriller instead of historical thriller or this. Yeah, thing. it's not it's not in there yet. So no, it's it's have to know. write it write yeah. it in there. We'll have to write it in there, yeah. So 
Uh, Ernie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, really do appreciate it. Um, this was great catching up with you. Yeah, it really was. It really was. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I know a lot of people are going to nerd out with some of the stuff we were talking about because it was like the really, really that deep dive conversations we were having with like history and stuff. And but if you have guys like you and me on a show like this and you and we don't talk stuff like that, it's a disservice, in my opinion, because that's that's what we've built our quote brand on is is the history stuff and, you know, the archaeological thrillers and the adventures and that kind of stuff. So um if anybody has any questions for you or just wants to know more about you, um, where can they find you online? So you can find, you know, my website, ErnestDempsey.net is one place. Um, I really do. I'm very, I'm really active on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Ernest Dempsey, or you look for my handle at Ernest Dempsey. Uh, I do a lot of stuff over there on my YouTube channel. Now yeah. I'm putting out new videos every week. Um, very often shorts uh, about mm-hmm. history stuff, but uh, and I love engaging with the comments over there. And, and yeah, and you do uh, YouTube lives, uh, you know, your you know your nighttime one, and then your your breakfast one. Yeah, so. yeah, twice a week. Drinks yeah. with Dempsey on Fridays at four thirty Eastern usually, and then Coffee mm-hmm. Nation on Sunday mornings and yep. nine a.m. Yep. Eastern, and just to engage with readers and hang out and talk about stuff that. Sometimes it's books, sometimes it's history, sometimes it's sports, it's just or movies or shows. What does there's no format to it, it's just hanging out. Yeah, it's just reactionary have, based on what a lot of the comments end up being. That's why I like doing the Facebook yeah. lives with authors. It's just we react to the to the to the comments and then it just spurs conversation. Yeah, and then and then lastly, yeah. uh my the other place where we're real active is on Facebook and uh the, there's there's my Facebook page which is facebook.com slash Ernest Dempsey. But from there, you can dive deeper in with other fans into the Dempsey's mm-hmm. Hunters and Runners page where we have, uh, it's run by Allison Valentine and James yep. Slater, and they do a lot of great contests and competitions on there for, you know, free goodies. Sometimes it's an autograph book or, you know. Yeah, Allison does this wonderful, uh, uh, the written interview stuff that she yeah. does with authors. You and I have done it a few times. Yep. Uh, she's wonderful. James is awesome. Uh, I know, I know both of them pretty well. And, um, yeah, the, that page is great. The hunters and runners. That's a great page. Um, yeah. And it's, it's all fan driven, you know, yeah. it's people posting cool articles about, you know, something that happened in archeology span or, you know, like we said, the contest, there's just, there's lots of cool interaction with, with, uh, fans that are, Fans like you and me, so. Yeah, definitely. Oh, cool. Very good. Very good. And like you said, as of recording this show, you have uh, Crimson Winter coming out tomorrow on the 28th, uh, April 28th. Um, and you said you are currently working on the next Relic Runners book, so that that will be your following release, I, I guess, sometime this summer. Yep. Um, so that's awesome. So uh, at any roundabout time that we should be looking for that, give or take? Relic Runner 6? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to get it out before the end of June. We'll okay. see if that happens. I don't yeah, like it's... doing July 4 weekend releases because no. it's, it's never good for releasing stuff. Uh, yeah. So maybe mid to late June, but we'll we'll see. Okay. Yeah. So we'll just we'll keep an eye out for it. Um, but uh, like I said, once again, thank you very much for coming on. And uh, we'll have you on again at some point. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Appreciate it.